The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. What a great time of singing. The words of those songs are just perfect for what we're looking at today in Romans chapter 8. When is it, I would, I would ask and wonder if you have the same answers that I have, but I came up with two answers. What two times in life really cause you to question the unconditional love of God? When is it that you're uh, going to most likely question the love of God? Go ahead and respond. Say someone. Okay, what? Trials, suffering, death. So suffering is certainly one of those times, and the nature of that question might be, well, Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How can God love me and let this happen to me, right? And then what's the other one that we talked about last week? How can God love me when I sinned like that, right? So to me, there's two times that are it's most likely that we would question Paul's opening statement in this chapter, there is no condemnation. That's the same thing as saying there is unconditional love and acceptance from God for those who are in Christ. And then one time we might say, but how can God really love me when I am such a wicked sinner? And Paul addressed that last week. He said, listen, if you're in Christ, then you've been, cre- you've been given credit for the righteousness of Christ. And so, yeah, when you sin, you grieve, you hate it, but God's love is not conditioned upon your performance. God's love is unconditional, poured out to you in Christ. And so, He's adopted you as son, He's made you His own child, and like the perfect Heavenly Father would do, He loves you unconditionally, even as you struggle and fail with sin. And so then today he's going to take the other issue at hand. How can God's love be unconditional for me in the middle of this pain? So Paul is going to bring us perspective to the pain that we all have in our life. It's, it, there's no doubt that this life is filled with pain and suffering and sorrow. And so Paul is going to give us God's perspective. And my prayer is this brings great comfort to your soul especially in times of suffering. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. I pray your spirit will move powerfully in our hearts. I pray that you will use these words that are from your scriptures, the inspired scriptures, and minister deep to the darkest depths of our soul. Comfort those who need comforting. Bring joy that undergirds the pain. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul's going to give us perspective. First of all, he's going to say our suffering is a part of being in the family. He says, look, it's just part of being in his family. Suffering comes along with the adoption. Look what he says in verse 17. He said, and if children, remember he said last week, you're in Christ. You've been adopted. You've been made a son Now, ladies, I know you're like, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. Okay, we'll live with it. You're sons just like we have to live with being brides, okay? Men are brides of Christ. You're sons of God, all right? We live with that. So, if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So to make sense of the suffering, we once again return to this concept of concept of being in a union with Christ. This is one of Paul's favorite ways to teach us. He says, listen, think about your, your faith in Christ as being united with Christ. And we've seen that when we have faith in Christ, we are hidden in Christ, and Christ by His Spirit is in us. There is this indelible, unbreakable union with Christ. And so we think about everything in those terms that we've talked about. Christ is righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. And so God gives us the declaration of righteousness, not on your performance, but on Christ's performance. We've seen that when Christ died, Paul says, it's when you're united with him, your old sinful flesh died with him. And so you were set free. You were severed from the law and sin and death. You have been set free from that. You have, when Christ rose from the grave, we know we will rise from the grave. Free to walk in the newness of life. And so our union with Christ is vitally important to thinking through these concepts. Now he is saying, if you are with Christ, think about Christ's life on earth. It was filled with suffering. You inherit the sufferings of Christ. In fact, if you think you're going to inherit the glory that we're going to talk about today, if you, if you know all that we've said is yours in Christ then when you see suffering with Christ, it should not cause you to doubt that. In fact, it should cause you to be more confident that you are in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying today, is first he's acknowledging the reality of our suffering. You see, Christ and Christianity doesn't make light of suffering. We don't say, oh, if you come to Christ, it all gets easier. We don't say that. That's not what the Scriptures teach us. In fact, the Scriptures teach us the opposite says, if you come to Christ, expect suffering. Think about what Jesus said to his followers along these lines. In John 15, 18, Jesus said to his followers, If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you, right? That's the way he's talking. He says, now you know this is not something new. Hated me first, Jesus said. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, Now a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Don't be caught off guard by this. Don't be surprised when you become a Christian and you start experiencing persecution, suffering, not just the general suffering we're about to talk about, but specific Christian suffering because you've chosen Christ, because you're in Christ, because you've trusted Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 21, he says, For you have been called for this very purpose. This is the very essence of what it means to follow Christ. It means that you receive the inheritance of glory, but it comes through the suffering. Suffering is to be expected, he says. Christ left you the example for you to follow in his steps. This is continuing in 1 Peter 2, verse 22. Christ, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He did nothing wrong, and while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. He says, listen, when you suffer, you should know that's to be expected. You're following Christ. 
Christ suffered. If they hated you, hated Christ, they're going to hate you for following Christ. And what should you do? You should continue entrusting yourself to the Father who judges righteously. So if you're going to be in God's family, if you're going to be a son of God by faith in the Son of God, then you just need to know you're going to suffer for the family's namesake. It's kind of like being the son of a, of a well-known politician or something. You didn't do anything to choose that dad, right? I mean, he's just got a well-known name, and half the people hate him, half the people love him. And as soon as they find out your name, you're in one of those categories. And you can't help it. You just are despised for your name's sake. Your name's sake, if you're in Christ, is Jesus Christ. And some people just aren't going to like it. As teenagers, we see it very vividly played out because teenagers don't seem to know you're supposed to fake it yet, right? Until you get older. But when you're teenagers, if someone doesn't like you, it's painfully clear. They'd separate. They don't invite you. They give you the cold shoulder. You, you just start feeling it. I'm just being ostracized because of what? What did I do? You chose to follow Christ. And when you follow Christ, there's a price to pay. We all feel it as adults. There, maybe it's that quiet isolation in your life that, that what used to, used to have all these social activities that you enjoyed and participated in, but now you look around and you don't see that. You don't feel that. You feel strange in this world. You feel like you just don't belong in the world. That's, that's part of the consequences of choosing to follow Christ. And he says, don't let this cause you to doubt. Don't let this cause you to wonder what's gone wrong. In fact, it should cause you to say, yeah, I'm in Christ because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. This is exactly what he said would happen you will suffer for following Christ. But in this text, we see not only that kind of suffering, the, the suffering unique to following Christ that is only of believers, and uh, I didn't mention it, but that also includes spiritual enemy attacks that working against you and harassing you to, to try to do anything you can to frustrate your, your commitment to Christ. But all suffering, not just unique to Christians, but universal, unconditional the effects of sin have affected all of our life, whether you're in Christ or not. Paul talked about this in Romans 5, verse 12. He said, when just as through one man, talking about Adam, just, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The story of the Bible is that when sin entered the world, so did futility, frustration, decay, disease, despair, discouragement, and death. That's the reality of the world in which we live. All of us face the effects of the fall. It doesn't mean that every time something bad happens that it's a direct result of a specific sin, but it does mean that everything in this world has been subject to slavery, to corruption and futility and frustration and decay and death. 
In verse 22, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. He's talking about nature. Even nature suffers the effects of sin. And it causes nature to groan in the suffering. In verse 23, he says, We ourselves groan within ourselves because of the suffering that entered the world with sin. In verse 26, he says, Even the Spirit of God Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This life is a life filled with groanings because of sin. We need to know that. Paul doesn't minimize suffering for the believer. He says it is a very real part of this life. So being a Christian doesn't mean you won't suffer anymore. In fact, it means that you will suffer more than non-Christians. Because everybody has a standard level of living in a fallen world. But add to that the fact that you will be hated for your following Christ. So yes, suffering is part of being in the family, but I've got good news, Paul says, there's also an awesome inheritance that comes with being in the family. And that's really the picture he presents here is when you trust Christ by faith, you are brought into the family of God. When you trust in the son of God, you're made a son of God. And so you are brothers with Christ, heirs of the kingdom. And he says in this verse, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, which are very real, very painful, he says, but they are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, when you became a part of this family, just know you're going to suffer for this family. But just know this, there is an inheritance that your father has bestowed upon you that is amazing. And it's so weighty, this glorious inheritance is so weighty that the scales are just set down with the weightiness that the suffering set on the scale as real and painful as it is. When it sets on the scale, it doesn't even move it. It doesn't even deserve to be compared. It's that wonderful. And when I study this inheritance of the glory of God, it's frustrating because I cannot express it to the fullness. I encourage you, take Revelation 21, take Genesis 1 and 2, take these verses and meditate on them this week. Think deeply on what is the glory of God? What is this glorious inheritance? Because Paul says, this is what enables you to persevere and endure the very painful realities of this life. What is this inheritance? He says it's the glory to be revealed in us. And he says it's so wonderful that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to even be compared to it. In verse 17, he described it as being glorified in Christ. In verse 18, he describes it as the inheritance as his glory being revealed to us and therefore in us. In verse 19, he describes inheritance as the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 23, he describes it as our adoption as sons the redemption of our body. And so what we see is 
in Paul's teachings, this glorious inheritance is literally the inheriting of the glory of God. The whole earth, all of history, God has been orchestrating and moving the events of history towards this one amazing, glorious day. And that day is the ripping back of the curtains and the presentation and the revelation of you and me in Christ. We're at the center of the stage because we are reflecting God's glory. God's glory shining down in us, to us, and through us, to all of creation, to the ends of the earth. God is seen as we can think about it. The way God's glory was seen in Christ, I hesitate to even say it because it feels like blasphemy, but God's glory is seen in us as seen in Christ. We are made as perfect as Christ. I can't even grasp that concept. But that's the the final show. That's what it's all been leading to is the great unveiling of the sons of God so that God's glory is seen and magnified and on display as we image forth his glory. Is there any condemnation for those who are in Christ? Are you kidding me? All the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places, all the glory of God is yours in Christ. All of life, all of history, everything has been moving toward that day when we will display His wisdom. When we will display His majesty. When we will display His creativity. When we will display His beauty. When we will display His intelligence. When we will display His glory. His holiness. His righteousness. His fantastic nature will be displayed through us. Not in a book. But in my life. In the way you live. You will see the incomprehensible glory of God in the people of God. That's amazing. It is so amazing that Paul says even creation itself anxiously longs for that day. Because on that day, all of nature will be perfected at the same time. He says it like this. He says that when we are set free from the bondage of sin... It's the same time that nature will be set free. And I see that in creation, God's design was that we would have dominion over nature. And so when we finally get it right, nature is set free so that we can reign and rule over all of nature the way God designed it. He says in verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly, eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And that hope is a confident assurance that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Paul mentions in verse 20 that when human sin entered the world, nature was subjected to futility along with humanity 
I like the way Ke- the Tim-, Tim Keller explains this. He says, nature, it is caught up in a continuous cycle of death and decomposition. It's wonderful to see how nature's life-giving quality continually seeks to reestablish itself, bringing new life out of death. For example, flowers grow from the fertilizer of dead organisms. But the whole universe is deteriorating and running down, losing more energy than it can generate. Everything in nature wears down and dies. Nature is currently a killer. Nothing beautiful and glorious and wonderful in this life Last. But on that glorious day, when we are revealed as the sons of God, creation will be finally set free from its slavery to corruption. We will finally be free to express God's glory in us as stewards of God's perfected creation. In Revelation 21, we see more description of that day. On that day, he says, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth pass away. And in that day, a new heaven and a new earth, God dwells with us fully. And we will be adorned with righteousness like the finest of linen garments. We will receive our inheritance as his sons. And our dwelling place will be with God. And it will be filled with the beauty and glory of God which radiates like a precious jewel. God will fully dwell in the person of Jesus and his glory will shine so bright there will be no need for the light of the sun in the day or the light of the moon at night. We will be his children and we will find perfect, complete contentment in Christ. We will have every spiritual need met. We will be completely physically content. We will be emotionally whole and content. We will be mentally whole and content. Every Need, every groaning, every longing fulfilled, content in God himself on that day. Imagine the most amazing scene in nature you've witnessed personally. Imagine the mountaintop. Oh, glorious. Covered in snow. The sun... Shining and the snow glistening like diamonds. And then think for a second what Paul is saying about that glorious scene. He says, that is horribly frustrated by sin. You haven't seen nothing yet, he's saying. Think of your most proudest moment. It's okay to be proud of some accomplishments to the glory of God. Nobody's around and you're going, yeah, nailed it. That was awesome. But you're feeling good. You accomplished something fantastic. If you're an artist, you put the brush down and you go, yes. You're a businessman and you finish a deal and you say, nailed it. You organize something and it's efficient and you just get excited. The spreadsheet works. And you're like, yes, did it. Greatest accomplishment. Pat 
passed the exam, got the certificate, got your diploma, finished med school, whatever it is. Think about that day. God says, you were so frustrated at that moment. You ain't seen nothing yet. For eternity. It's glorious. Set free from the frustrations of futility. But this life is filled with. Even your best day has been frustrated by the effects of sin. He said, but it won't always be that way. And I can't comprehend eternity, but I heard an illustration once that really helped. Think of taking a feather and swiping across a diamond. How much diamond was eroded in that one swipe? And think of another swipe and another swipe and another swipe. And you do that until that diamond is finally disintegrated to crumbles. That's day one in eternity. It never, ever ends. And it's glorious beyond comprehension. That's what awaits you if you're in Christ. That's amazing. In Genesis 1, 28 and 2, 15... We see our purpose in God's creating us is to display His glory, to image forth His glory. And it's somehow connected to our exercising our dominion over all of creation, subduing the earth. The, the study by, ESV study Bible notes say that the idea is that we are to, to make the earth's resources beneficial for ourselves, which implies we would investigate and develop earth's resources to make them useful for humans, including scientific developments, technological developments. And so the perfected earth is our inheritance. And in our perfected bodies, we will be perfectly able to, to do all the scientific exploration, all the technological developments you can even imagine. We'll be infinitely wise, infinitely productive, infinitely caring, infinitely responsible, infinitely beautiful, infinitely creative in ways that the best of humanity's versions just gives us a foretaste of it. What a glorious day for those who are in Christ. This is our hope. Paul says, think about these things. We don't think about these things because it's hard to get our hands around it. Paul says, think deeply about these things. This is our hope. And this hope compared to the present realities that are filled with pain and sorrow and frustration and futility and decaying and disease and discouragement and death creates within us a groaning. He says in verse 23, and not only this, but ourselves, we ourselves, creation and nature groans, but we ourselves groan, having the first fruits of the Spirit, having the first taste of it. Just as good as that is, it doesn't say that's all there is. It says this is just a taste of it. It's going to be so good that even ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly, come, Jesus, come for our adoption as sons. We have been adopted, but we have not experienced the full blessing, the full revelation of our adoption as sons of God. And it becomes a hope. And what is hope? Hope is not something you've seen fully yet. That's not hope, that's reality. But this is a hope which you have not seen fully, but you've tasted the goodness of it. 
And that becomes the anchor of your soul that gets you through the pain of this life. The Christian life is a life of groaning for what I've gotten the sweet taste of. Our suffering is part of being in the family of God. But the inheritance of the family. It's so amazing. He doesn't belittle our suffering, but he's saying as, as, as that worst pain that you've ever felt in the depths of your soul, as bad as that is, he says, that that's pales in comparison of how wonderful this is. And he calls it the pain of childbirth. Anyone who's had a child knows what that means. It's, it's not the same pain. It's not a steady pain that you learn to deal with. It's a growing pain that pulsates with increased intensity. It makes you want to claw your eyeballs and your husband's eyeballs out. And why would anyone endure such pain? Because the life that comes through the pain. That's what he's saying. He's saying, believers, taste how sweet that glorious inheritance is. And that's what enables them to endure the very real pain that we face in this life. The inheritance makes it all worth it. But what if I fall short? If everything hinges on that future inheritance, what if I don't make it? Paul says, I got that. Verse 26 to 30, he says, the father guarantees our inheritance. The father guarantees our inheritance. Your inheritance is not based on you and your abilities and your performance. The father has guaranteed it. Two ways he explains this. First of all, the spirit. First reason you can know if you're in Christ that you will make it to that day. You will persevere to the end. You will get the full redemption and the glorious inheritance. You will inherit his glory is in verse 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weaknesses. We do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. The Spirit of God groans with us with two deep words that are too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God's Spirit guarantees we will inherit our inheritance. Douglas Moose says in verse 26 that this means the Spirit joins with us, bearing the burdens imposed by our weaknesses. This weakness may be specific, an inability to pray, a certain external persecution or suffering, but it is probably at least the general idea that the totality of the human condition, the Spirit of God guarantees you will stand up in the weight of the pain of this life. And the Spirit expresses to God those intercessory petitions that perfectly match the will of God. God in you prays to God for you. 
so that you endure to the end. God loves you that much. The second reason we know we will absolutely make it to our inheritance is God himself guarantees it. He accomplishes it. God himself sovereignly predestines, predetermines, guarantees every believer absolutely will endure until their inheritance of his glory. Verse 28, Paul says, And we know that God, who? God causes how many things? Some things, no. Good things, no. All things. God causes all things to work together for good. For who? For everyone? Does everyone say, oh good, God's doing everything I need for me? He says, no. It's, he describes them in three ways. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. This is from man's perspective. Those who love God can know God uses every bit of pain for my good. From God's perspective, he says that those same people are described as those who are called according to his purpose. Those who feel called to Christ, trust in Christ. God called you to Christ. God wooed you to Christ. That was God doing that in your life. God has reached out and grabbed you and called you to faith in Christ. He also describes them as those whom he foreknew before the foundations of the earth, before you were even a twinkling in your mother's eye, before you were born. God knew you. He predestined that he would call you to Christ and you would call, come loving Christ. He adopted you as a son. This is the sovereign God of the universe who says, I control the casting of the dice. I know every bird that hits the ground. I know every number of hair on your head. I know every name. And before you were born, I promised, I guaranteed, I predestined that you would make it to the end. The glorious inheritance is never to be in doubt for those who are in Christ. Now, there's three of you who want to debate the basis of that foreknowledge. If you ruin this with that debate, I will be very upset. Paul's point is clear. Those whom he foreknew, he guarantees you will make it to his glorious inheritance. And that better be what we're talking about this week in community group. Those whom God foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified declared righteous, those he justified, he also glorified. And that's the finishing, making it complete righteous. It is a chain that cannot be broken. And that should be the chain that you wrap around your body and anchor your life to. 
because what God has done for us, who could separate us from the love of God? I pray that today that you have got a little better taste of the glory of God that awaits you in Christ and that it touches you somewhere deep where there's pain that nothing else can bring healing but Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that anyone who's not in Christ that's here has seen how glorious it is to be in Christ and that they will understand how clear the call is. Embrace Christ. That's it. And for those who are in Christ, God promises, I'll get you to the finish line. Lord, I pray that that finish line, that that day of glory, that day when you come back, oh, I pray that'll be so alive in our hearts. I pray that that the groaning in our heart is not a grumbling of complaining, but a groaning, which is a a longing for that glorious day where we, we want to just say, yes, come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, getting a glimpse of how glorious that day is where we'll be set free to to reveal the glory of God in the way we think and act and feel and reign and rule and create and invent. Lord, I pray that we will have such a taste of that glory this morning as we sing that it draws us to deeper faith in you and that it that it salves the wounds of our soul from the pain of this life, that we'll realize all the glory is so worth it, that we endure the present sufferings, that the sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory of that day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.